Welcome to Manager Tools. Resistant Directs in One-on-Ones, Chapter 2, Part 1. Here we go. This cast answers these questions. How do I handle a direct who resists one-on-ones? What if a direct won't talk to me during a one-on-one? What are the chances a direct will refuse one-on-ones? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. A lot of managers, you know, they... They worry about directs not wanting one-on-ones, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Even though it doesn't happen very often. But if you're worried about it or if it comes up, we're going to tell you what to do about it. Yeah. They ask, even though the questions are hypothetical, uh, the manager hasn't even started doing one-on-ones yet. And um, it's not unusual in training sessions. You know, by the way, that that, that happens all the time. We tell, (laughs) in conferences and in a consulting practice, we talk with managers about, how to be more effective, how to get better results, how to have better relationships. <laughs> they haven't tried any of it, but man, they can come up with a lot of reasons not to try. Yeah, and that's pretty normal, right? For an adult who reasonably thinks, you know, I'm doing my job okay. There's an old concept about if I change, it will essentially, you know, give an admission that I wasn't doing it good enough. And, and if I stay the way I'm doing, then I can maintain the fiction that what I'm doing is right. Uh, it's, it gets harder to change as you have more and more experience. So yeah, that's true. Prob- probably 20 years ago, I was surprised by it. Now I'm used to it and I respect it. And so, you know, but anyway, they, they are worried. And one of the things they worry about is, okay, they play out the whole idea of one-on-ones or feedback or anything else for that matter. And they, they come up with every possible scenario that can happen. And they want to have an answer to every hypothetical situation. To some degree, that's because, hey, I want this thought through. I I want to tell you what I think is a real situation that could occur. And I want you to prove to me that your model actually has validity in that situation, as opposed to a really thin, poorly developed, untested, you know, no data to support it model, which the moment any experienced manager starts throwing questions at it, it, it falls apart. And In this case, we have some really good answers, um, and it's pretty easy to actually overcome resistant directs. And in this case, you're just really going to put together some of our existing guidance, throw in a little patience, and be willing to have a speech about the direct's future, which is actually primarily what this cast is about. This guidance is very similar to some initially initial guidance that we put out about resistant directs. That's why we call it part two. We're going to review that briefly to get everyone on the same page. But the reason for this cast is that we get a lot of questions about how to address a direct's resistance in a review, how soon, how strong, and so on. And we actually recommend waiting until the three-month point. The discussion we recommend everybody has at the three-month point, and I say everybody, but the data show <laughs> almost nobody will have to do it, um, but the, the the discussion we recommend you have with your direct is perhaps one of the most compelling moments of our public conferences and our, and our client conferences too, for that matter, that we have. When we walk through what to say, how to say it, when to say it, um, we get Uh, basically two responses, stunned silence or everyone going, oh, wow, gosh, I'm sorry I didn't write that down. And they say, wow, 
my case, I say, wow, you're really good at that. I'm like, you know, okay. I worked that up. We tested it to make sure it worked and it works. And I've said it 500 times. So maybe that's why it sounded good. Um, and many directs want to be firm, but are worried about being firm. And so you have to find a way to insist with directs without being too firm. And that's what this guidance does. So we basically have three points we want to talk about today. One is most directs don't resist for long. Um, We'll share with you our data about the percentages of people who directs starting one-on-ones who resist in some way. Um, We're going to walk you through the previous guidance to get you to where we are at the three-month point. And then at three months, you're going to explain the impact of your direct's resistance to them with a fairly straightforward bit of guidance. Yeah, this cast is is one of those interesting ones that I think many managers need to have this in their back pocket because they're worried that this might come up. But in fact, they never have to use it. So folks, you'll learn how to deal with it and then you'll never have to deal with it. So um, yeah, and the fact is that most recs don't resist very long. That's that's our experience. They don't. Yeah. Maybe one in a thousand directs will resist enough such that you have to consider doing what we describe here. And frankly, we never really envisioned sharing guidance, guidance like this. In my mind, it's very similar to our guidance on systemic feedback. You're never going to need it. And I say never loosely. You might need it, but it, but as I say with systemic feedback, in 26 years of using the feedback model, I have only used systemic feedback six times. So it's pretty rare. So you're never going to need it. But managers really do like to know it's there. It's like a warm blanket on a cold night. So this is one of the potential possibilities of starting a new managerial behavior one-on-ones. And we just address it so that a manager can say, ah, you know, gosh, if I ever have that problem, you know, if I get the one out of a thousand directs, I'll know what to do. And speaking of one in a thousand, here's what our data show about directs and resistance. First, percentage-wise, about 65% of directs talk about the right amount in a one-on-one. And that's the wording managers use, about the right amount. Basically, that means two-thirds of your directs will respond positive to your one-on-ones. And not only will one-on-ones not be a problem, um, they'll actually be a huge benefit to you immediately. I mean, millions of managers all over the world know this, obviously, and are doing one-on-ones and sing their praises based on our guidance. In fact, you could make a case that most managerial recommendations don't have strong uptake and success with two-thirds of one's directs anyway. So we could just say, look, do one-on-ones, and for the third that aren't interested, you know, Hopefully, they'll find a job somewhere else. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm going to get an email about that, Mike. Yeah, you Um, Okay, so two-thirds, 65% talk about the right amount. Managers actually worry that directs won't talk enough, and that's what this cast's about. But another 30%, so now we're at 95% of all your directs all over the world, 30% actually talk too much. They basically roll you over, roll over you in the first, you know, month 
talking for the full 30 minutes. Um, and we're not going to get into that today, but we discuss how to address it in um, our guidance called Agenda Fascism, where we recommend you don't cut people off at 10 minutes, yeah, particularly in the first weeks. That leaves us 5% of directs who actually resist in their one-on-ones by basically refusing, and I put refusing in Joey air quotes, to communicate. We're not going to make a big deal about the refusing because refusing is actually kind of a state of mind. There are some managers who say, well, you know, he's got an attitude. And of course, at Manager Tools, we tell you to focus on behavior, meaning he doesn't want to, isn't that important to you? The question is, does he or doesn't he? We're not going to get into his desire or his attitude or you know, whether he can, he's young enough to still learn or something like that. All we care about, what do they do? Now, if somebody crosses their arms and rolls their eyes and says, this is dumb. Well, okay. I would agree with you. They have a bad attitude about starting one-on-ones with you, but by all means, stay away from talking to them about their attitude because they'll just, you know, shrug their shoulders and say, I don't have a bad attitude. On the other hand, you could easily tell somebody when you cross your arms and roll your eyes to a new managerial um, initiative, it comes across as unprofessional. So we're not going to worry about refusing. We're just going to say they don't communicate. They choose not to engage when it comes to a one-on-one. And to be clear, there's another type of objection from directs. And those are, that's the ones who don't even want to start that say, ah, you know, I don't, we don't need to do one-on-ones. I'm not going to do one-on-ones. And you can address that with our guidance on, at least in part, uncommunicated directs this is not micromanagement. That's a common issue that directs say, oh, you're micromanaging me, which is ludicrous on its face, obviously. So we've got 5% of possible directs we're talking about here. And for virtually all of those directs in the 5%, if you insist on continuing to do one-on-ones and staying patient, letting the direct gradually realize that you're going to stay patient, they end up starting to communicate. And you don't really have to feel like you're insisting or forcing them to do it. You're just doing them and gradually they realize they're not going away. Now, I think I've used the word insisting a couple of times and that sometimes sets people's alarms off. Remember, the purpose of one-on-ones is to create a trusting relationship with each and every direct. That allows us to manage using relationship power the most influential of the three types of power. And for those of you who don't know, there are three types of power. Role power, which represents about 10% of your ability to get stuff done. Expertise power, which is about 5%. And then lastly, relationship power, which is 85% of your ability to be an effective manager. And we want relationship power, but if our direct can say no to any new effort to build relationship power, we may be in trouble. So, At this point, it's probably helpful to recall our guidance in the manager tools middleman test, which says, never tolerate from your directs that which you would not visit upon your boss. So if you wouldn't think yourself of not meeting with your boss or not communicating with your boss in a regularly scheduled meeting, you oughtn't think you have to tolerate that kind of behavior from your directs in a meeting. So when we say we're insisting, It's completely reasonable to insist if you use the middleman test. Manager Tools recommends relationship power, 
But we're prepared to use roll power to insist in a polite way in order to get to relationship power. While virtually everything we teach is about relationship power, it's not as if role power doesn't exist or if you're if you're trying to be a relationship power driven manager it doesn't mean you have to give up all use of role power every once in a while you have to use role power role power is important relative to organizational structure it's not important in terms of top level performance but it is important to organizational structure it is a tool available to us and so you use it all that said There is a tiny percentage, I would say one-tenth of one percent, who mistakenly think that part of their job responsibilities is not communicating openly with other people. I don't want to be managed or, you know, I just expect to be able to do my job. It's ludicrous. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's it's ludicrous. Um, It's like the people who say, look, I'm just going to do my job. I'm not going to play politics. Ah, phooey. Don't make the same mistake Mike and I did early in our careers. Everybody plays politics. And all of your directs are part of an organization. They don't exist alone. Everybody in your organization, whether they want to or not, and if they don't want to, it's because they don't realize it exists, but their lack of knowledge doesn't eliminate their responsibility. Everybody in your organization has to pay the organizational tax of communication and collaboration with their colleagues in order for their part of the divisional labor to be multiplied along with the work of others to achieve value for external customers, for stakeholders, for society. If you're part of an organization, you have an obligation to talk to one another about your work and its status, how you're doing. And a human organization is much more effective than a mechanical organization because humans can form bonds of trust And as I said many times, one of my favorite book titles ever is The Speed of Trust. The more trust we have, the more likely we are to be quicker to the ball and quicker over the finish line. Okay, so maybe before we move on, because we've done previous casts on this topic. So let's review our previous guidance real quickly, just to catch people up who haven't perhaps listened to that. Yeah, so we've got um, seven points, the the seventh of which essentially has – two sort of two parts. And we're going to cover that um, here now. Um, I should have said this earlier. It was based on popular demand. People have said, how come there's not a cast with this? And I always told them, I said, well, look, if you listen to the cast on this, we really resistant directs. We really have covered the whole thing basically. And they said, no, no, no. We really want to hear the speech. You need to share the speech with all your listeners. So, okay, fine. So seven steps. Number one, Remember that one-on-ones are business meetings and therefore mandatory. Again, this goes back to the role power and the relationship piece. They're mandatory. Your direct can say, you know, I don't want to do them. And you can look at them kind of funny and go, you know, that's weird. If my boss looked at my calendar three weeks from now and saw an opening and scheduled some time with me, I can't imagine sending him back a note and saying, no, I'm not coming. If my boss saw me and said, hey, I looked at your calendar and Three weeks from now, there's some open time. You know, can I schedule some time with you? I'd probably look at him funny and go, what do you mean, can you schedule time with me? You're my boss. If you need time with me, you need time with me. I'm prepared to be there. So they're mandatory. And so therefore, you can insist. And again, that's why we have role power. Um, Related to that, they're business meetings. 
Somebody can't say, I'm sorry, they can say, but they cannot say with any legitimacy, I don't want a personal relationship with you. You're just my boss. I just work here. You know, I don't want to talk about my family. I don't want to talk about my hobbies. I don't want us to build a relationship. You know, this is just work. If you think you can sit there and hold hands with me, you're crazy. You look at me and you go, dude, I'm not asking for a personal meeting. This is a business meeting. You and I sitting down, talking about stuff that's important to each one of us, which, by the way, our statistics show is primarily work. 79% of directs, what they want to talk about is work. 86% of managers, what they want to talk about is work. So, you know, we're not here to hold hands. I want to have a business meeting with you. And the more frequently we meet, within reason, to talk about stuff that's important to us, without an agenda, for the most part, the better off we're going to be in the long run. I mean, the performance I've done at the highest level was because I trusted other people. But if all we do is come into work and do our own individual work and don't see to its integration with others, and we're not willing to collaborate with others, we're likely to get poor performance. And we can't say the reason we got the poor performance and therefore it's justified is that I didn't want to collaborate with people. You can't do that. It's not defensible. And, and speaking of which, that brings up my whole one of my latest pet peeves, which is collaboration. You find this phrase everywhere, or this word everywhere, collaboration, you know, communication, teamwork, and so on. And people say, you know, oh, yeah, we're, we're a collaborative organization. Okay, good. I like collaboration. What collaboration really means is a lot more communication. And that means a lot more emails, a lot more face-to-face, -face, a lot more phone calls, a lot more text messages, a lot more meetings. And by the way, if you're going to have a lot more meetings, you better have some structure around your meetings. Otherwise, collaboration is going to turn into disaster. So people want to talk about being collaborative, but then they don't think about what, what behaviors, because collaboration is not a behavior, you know, what behaviors actually it takes to create a collaborative work environment. So we've announced that we're going to start one-on-ones and our direct pushes back a little bit. Okay. The second thing you do is restate your intent to continue. So it might be as simple as when the direct comes to us and says, you know, I don't think I want to do this. Um, if I'm in a snarky mood, I might say, okay, thanks for the input. I'll, I'll see you then. Oh, I, I thought I said I didn't want to go. Uh, yeah, I, I heard you and we'll talk about that in the meeting, but I checked your calendar and you're free. And I don't know, again, I go back to my comment. If my boss sent me a note said he'd, he'd like to meet with me, she'd like to meet with me, I'd probably say yes and at least go to it and find out more. You do not have a right to be exempt from being managed. We don't manage people because we don't trust them. We manage in order to build trust so that we can improve performance. Now, you may not like that, but that's the reason I'm doing it. And then if the direct says, well, you know, maybe I want to do them every other week, <laughs> you know, I probably laugh and go, I'm happy to hear that. And so you'll be happy with them every other week, but no, we've talked about this and I hear your input and you, maybe you don't have enough time. I think you do. And I get to have some say in that, um, whether you like organizational structure and role power and so on or not. And frankly, again, I'm thinking about my boss. I'm thinking if he wants to meet with him every week, I'm not going to 
counter-suggest every other week. The other thing I like to tell people in terms of restating your intent to continue is to say, wait a minute, okay, you're saying you don't want to be micromanaged. Dude, I'm sorry, but you, you got to stop smoking the crack. You got to put the pipe down. You're suggesting that my half-hour meeting with you once a week is somehow micromanaging. Yeah, it is. It totally is. Okay, so half an hour. I'm guessing here you're talking all the time about how busy you are. Let's just make it easy and round off to 50 hours a week. By the way, that's always good to say to people because then they go, actually, it's more than 60, which more, more than 50. And some even say it's more than 60, which is extremely unlikely. But anyway, fine. So we say 50 and they say it's more than that. I said, well, uh, okay, even better. I'm going to assume it's 50 and I'm asking for half an hour. I'm talking about 1% of your week that I want to talk to you. In addition to the other yeah. meetings and stuff we're in, but that's with other people. I'm asking for 1% of your time. And what's more, I have 10 directs. And so that's 1% times 10, meaning I'm going to spend five hours a week in these. And I'm only going to spend 1% of it with you, but 1% with everybody else. And that's going to take up 10% of my time. And I'm still going to do them. That's how valuable I think they are. I think the biggest um, biggest challenge for a manager, or the biggest mistake managers make, I think, in, in this thing, which doesn't happen very often when somebody says, I don't want to meet, meet with you, just so ludicrous. But when it happens, the folks that I know that have gotten in trouble with this, the problem is that they just use their role power too much, right? They got angry. Yes, they got, exactly. They, they push back too hard, as opposed to just... <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, we'll see you. We'll see you Tuesday at three o'clock. Yeah. And then walking away. I thought you were talking about they use role power uh, systemically too much. You're just talking about them being too forceful in this instance where they say, don't even talk to me and say, look, you're coming. End of story. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah don't, exactly. don't be a jerk, guys. Right. If the role power is not an excuse to be dismissive or disrespectful. And we want to use it sparingly. You don't have to use it that often. And you can use it in a velvet glove, right? I think, oh, I think yeah. the point is you're using role power in that case, which you're insisting on having the meeting, yeah. but you're not being a jerk about it. That's, I, think, I think I probably misstated the problem. The problem is responding emotionally, maybe. That's with yeah. anger and, um, yep. yeah, with anger. So my thinking was, if all you do is use role power, then your directs, you push them as far away as you possibly can. Then in their minds, there's something ironic about you using role power to create a relationship. Exactly. I was like, yeah, no, I don't. Sorry, I don't believe And then the real jerk, then that's that will be the conversation she'll want to talk about. Yes, exactly. In the one-on-one. -on -one. Okay. So we've restated our intent. Our next piece of guidance is continue having them. Don't let a direct resist and then say, oh, I'm going to let you off the hook because you said... You know, you didn't want this, or I don't want to damage the relationship using role power. Let's be clear about something. We are not the ones damaging the relationship by insisting on having one-on-ones. For all the reasons I just mentioned, if a, one person in a two-person relationship is trying to talk to the other person about things that are important to them and using a minimal amount of time and a non-invasive technique to do it, if one person is trying and the other person refuses, it's the other person that is creating the problem in the relationship, not the manager. It's the direct who refuses to do it. Okay. So no matter what, continue having them. When your direct pushes back initially and says it's micromanagement and then says, I only want to meet every other week. And is anybody else doing this? Which is funny. 
And then you still have the first one. But after two or three, you know, they throw up their arms and roll their eyes and say, I got nothing every week. And essentially, you're trying to freeze you out of being interested in doing it with them. Whatever you do, don't stop. Continue doing it. And say, look, this is important to me. I know it's coming across. I'm, I'm getting from you um, that it's not important to you. And that's okay right now. I believe there'll come a point where you'll begin to see the value of it. And so I'm willing to make an investment. And if you're thinking that investments are not appropriate or you want immediate results from everything you do, I'm, I'm sorry, dude, you got to go look at the company's financials because almost everything is about return on investment. You know, we spend a bunch of money. I mean, even in the case of hiring people, we spend a bunch of money every month. Most people aren't worth the money we spend in the first few months they're there. They're not. Over time, they become way more valuable than what we're spending thanks to the building up of knowledge and expertise and goodwill and relationships and so on. But, I mean, organizations are essentially lessons in investment. Um, so, don't give up. Continue having them. Next point, at the start of each of your one-on-ones, you start by making your first statement a question, which is clear that it turns the one-on-one over to the direct that you don't, you don't end up asking something like, how was your weekend? And the direct spends five minutes of their time answering a question of your interest, which wasn't on their agenda or their list of things to talk about uh, during the one-on-one. So you start with a question and we have guidance about this, about memorizing your first question. So you don't feel you have to be creative. I tell people this all the time. It's great to be creative. But being creative doesn't mean being creative in everything, in all ways. The CFO of your company is not creative in creating the financials for the company if you have any interest in staying out of jail, right? Creativity in terms of that kind of stuff isn't good. Creativity in terms of structures and operations of meetings doesn't make much sense. You might be creative in a meeting or two in terms of getting people involved in a brainstorming discussion or getting people's ideas out on the table, but that's not the running of the meeting. Running of meetings is fairly straightforward. It's been done well for many, many years, not by a lot of people, but it has been done. It's a known thing how you do that. It's a known thing how you make offers and how you onboard people. So you don't need to be creative in everything. So you ask the same question every time. And you ask once, hey, what do you got, as an example? And when the director says, I don't have anything, you ask the question again, just to make sure that they're willing to stand their ground and you didn't misunderstand. You say, okay, but hey, just real quick, this is your time, anything you'd like to talk about? And the director says, nah. So now you've asked twice at the beginning of the one-on-one. And so they're done. You don't need to say, look, I'm going to sit here for 15 minutes waiting for you to talk. You do what you do in all st- effective meeting processes. You say, okay, if I have a 10-minute agenda item and that agenda item takes one minute, then you move on to the next agenda item. The next agenda item starts nine minutes early. That's a standard thing. So you ask once and then you ask again, you sure? Anything at all? Totally open. Your call. And they say no. And then you take over. This is our fifth point. You take over and cover your agenda. Pretty simple. I mean, there's no magic here. This is a meeting. It's a business meeting. And you're following simple protocols around how to have effective meetings. Then 
maybe you take 15 minutes. So now you're 16 minutes into a 30 minute interview. And before you go, you say to him, Hey, look, that's everything on my list real quick. Before you go, any last stuff, anything that came loose in your brain when we are coming up, going over these topics. And remember, if you don't, the vast majority of your conversation, 86% is going to be about work, um, which is obviously completely within your purview. And uh, the director goes, no. So just to be clear, we've asked three times each week in our one-on-one, doing our best to ask our direct to be collaborative, which I'd be willing to bet is on the company's values on its homepage, on its values page of a website somewhere. And if not, it's on yours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Then, sixth point, be patient. When the direct says after two or three weeks, are we still going to be doing these? You know, I'm, I'm, hopefully you can see I'm not really into it. (laughs) Yeah, you say something like that. It's like, I'm not sure I understand what you mean by into it. I'm not into my salary and yet I get it every week or every two weeks. Actually, I would be into much more into a higher salary, but my input has been unheard. And so, uh, but I still come to work and I still take my salary. So when the direct does that, you can say, no, I appreciate this. Uh, you made it very clear through your behavior that this is not something you're excited about. And I get that. And I still want to do them. I find them useful. The only reason they're not working in your mind is because you're not doing what is reasonable and appropriate. And so I just want to keep doing them. Uh, you know, I'm doing them with everybody else. With the stats that we we shared, it's very easy for you to be able to say, everybody else on the team is communicating, collaborating, talking, exchanging ideas. We're being creative about stuff. I'm learning about stuff that I didn't know that's helped me be better, a better manager to other people. Um, so no, we're going to keep doing them. And that patience extends for three months. Three months. Yeah. You don't want to pull this trigger too early. You want to give the direct every opportunity to see the light, to step into the meeting room, if you will. And we don't want to do one-on-ones for two weeks and then say, okay, it's not working. You're going to punish because they'll see that then as not an effort in a relationship, but rather as an effort to get what you want. Right. And they feel like they they won, right? They outweighed you. Exactly. And they will have forced your hand to use gross role power and it won't be effective. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll finish this one up next week. In the meantime, have a great one. 